You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. Our summer psalm series, starting with Psalm 74 this week, which begins on page 486 of your Pew Bible. And as always, please take a Bible home with you if you do not have one of your own. We'd love to make a gift of that. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees and all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet There's none among us who knows how long, how long, O God, is the foe to scoff, is the enemy to revile your name forever. Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Yet, God, my king is from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beasts. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant, for the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. This is the word of the Lord. 
All rise for the gospel. Today's amazing reading is found in Mark chapter 5, verses 35 to 43, page 840 in your pew Bibles. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. But when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Good morning. Wonderful to be with you. My name is Lewis Lovett. I'm honored to serve here as the church planter in residence. So it means I serve here as a pastor and I'm working with my family and a team of people to plant the next church plant of this church, which is Resurrection Anglican in Midlothian. And excited to be with you this morning to open God's word. We're continuing our summer series in the Psalms and we're on Psalm 74, as you just heard. So pray with me, please, before we jump into it. Holy Spirit, we ask for grace from you that you'd be at work in and through your word right now so that we might know you and love you more and love one another. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Although I wouldn't consider myself a Swifty, technically, uh, in my house, Taylor Swift music is played a lot. Uh, I've got four daughters, and they are, they are way into Taylor. And my wife and I recently watched a documentary called Miss Americana which, on Netflix, where Taylor sort of discusses the, the psychological and emotional realities of her rise to success and fame in some of her creative process. And you may uh, love Taylor Swift, you may, you may hate her, but she's got some really insightful things to say when it comes to success and failure. And she said this in describing how much pressure she feels for a new project. She said, there's so much pressure into putting out new music. If I don't beat everything I've done prior, it'll be deemed a colossal failure. This is from 2020. So this is 11 Grammys deep. This is sold out shows across the globe. This is, I've made about $500 million writing and singing my songs, and she is terrified of colossal failure. She's terrified of everything falling apart. She's terrified of a collapse. Psalm 74 is a psalm that comes to us, is a prayer that comes to us from the midst of this kind of colossal failure, from the midst of this kind of total collapse. That's what the first eight verses show us. It's a, it's a prayer written in response to the utter failure and destruction of the people of Israel. And so I have to warn you as, as we approach this that I'm gonna invite you to consider 
utter failure and collapse. I'm gonna invite you to consider the worst case scenario of your life. Uh, some of you maybe like Taylor Swift, that's a thing that you are afraid of happening. That as you consider uh, relationships that might break or families that might fall apart, as you consider jobs that might be lost or financial security that might be squandered, as you consider big mistakes that you might not be able to fix, as you consider new schools and social dynamics that are terrifying, as you consider the consequences of not performing academically, as you consider your own health or maybe the health of someone that you love, you live in moments with fear of what if everything falls apart? For others of you, as I talk about this, you're, you're remembering back to maybe what was a low point in your own story. And, and of course, the reality is that for some of us, this collapse is now, it's happening. So I don't know where you are as you come to a text like this, but I want you to know that, that God does and that he sees you and his heart is for you. And I hope you can trust that. My, my hope and my prayer as we look at Psalm 74 is that God will use it to build up our faith so that when we do face this kind of worst case scenario, we might know that God is with us and for us and loves us. So what I wanna do is I wanna look at what kind of faith we see in Psalm 74. And I think we see three things. First, we see a faith that cries. Second, we see a faith that remembers. And, th and third, a faith that hopes. A faith that cries, a faith that remembers, and a faith that hopes. So first, a faith that cries. The, the psalmist lists, lists out all the atrocities and tragedies. And the context of this is the invasion and destruction of Jerusalem at the hand of the Babylonians. So this is, this is a, a community that has been invaded. Many of the people have been killed. The city has been destroyed. And most of the survivors have been taken into captivity and slavery. Okay? This is a worst case scenario moment. This is that everything has fallen apart, utter collapse moment. And, and I know for most Christians, and I know not everyone here is, is a Christian, but most Christians have some kind of category for challenges and trials. We know God will lead us into difficult times, and he does this because he needs to break us away from our dependence on things of the world and build up in us the experience of our dependence on him. And we may not always like it, but at least theoretically, we're okay with difficult things. But we have a much harder time believing that a good God might send us situations, troubles, trials, devastations at this kind of cataclysmic level. But that's exactly where this is coming from. Everything has fallen apart. That's, why, that's what the psalmist describes when he says, your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting places. Think of a, a ravaging army. They set your sanctuary on fire. The spiritual and cultural centerpiece has been dismantled and burned. They says they burned all the meeting places of God in the land. Everything special to you has been destroyed. And the most intense words of the psalm are the questions that are directed at God. This is how it starts in verse one. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? A little later, how long, oh God, is the foe to scoff? And then why, why do you hold back your hand? He's asking God, he's confronting God with the the immensity of the collapse and the apparent indifference and silence of God. And the sense here is that the situation is, is hopeless. It's over. It's final. But we see here a faith in the midst of that, that, 
that cries. And what I love about these kinds of psalms, as difficult as they are to kind of wrap our own hearts around, is that the psalmist does not resign himself to what's happening. He doesn't turn away in anger. All of his anger, all of his complaint, all of his pain is articulated, but it's always articulated towards God. It's a cry of faith. And these kind of questions, how long and why, how could you let this happen, where are you? These are really difficult questions to ask God. I feel like I'm not really allowed to talk like this to God because it's like bad theology. Like I can't say, where are you, God? Because I know technically he's right here, so it doesn't make sense, right? I can't say it. But I actually think that these kind of cries are, are actually essential and necessary for honest Christian prayer. And here's what I mean. These are the kind of cries that, that give us true and honest words to express the human experience in the world that's not as it should be and a relationship with God that's not as it will be. And by that, I mean that if, if we're honest, then the world around us and in our own lives and our own stories, it's, it's full of brokenness, it's full of pain, it's full of disappointment. It's full of things not going the way they should. And so the only honest way to pray, if that's the case is, God, fix it. How long are you gonna wait? What else would we say to him? Would we just pretend that stuff doesn't exist? It's the only honest way to pray. And for a God who promises us that we will be with him forever in an experience of perfect communion and intimacy, what else could we pray when we don't feel like he's near, but why? How long are you gonna make me wait before I see your face, before I hear your voice? It seems like you're not here. It's the only honest thing to do. The, the kind of faith that Psalm 74 invites us to, urges us to, is one that cries out to God because we are in relationship with him. Psalm 74 isn't a gentle encouragement when things are falling apart. It's an urgent exhortation and call to keep the faith. And so we cry out, but we cry out as those who have faith. We always cry out towards God. That's the faith that we see here in Psalm 74. Secondly, we see a faith that, that remembers. Uh, in verses 12 to 17, the psalmist, he turns from his cry about what's going on to remember who God is and, and what he does. And, and as common as this is in the Psalms, I find it's not so common in my prayer life. I find that this move is, is actually really difficult, especially in the midst of things falling apart. To actually stop and consider God. L look at verse 12, this is what he says. Yet, in the midst of collapse, yet God, my king is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. I find this to be a remarkable thing to say. It feels like you're not here, everything is falling apart, yet God, my king. It's like he's swearing allegiance to God in the midst of the moment where he feels like God is not there. He's remembering that his cry to God always comes from the position of, of belonging to him. And, and not just belonging to him, not just being led by him, but being saved by him. He says, salvation in the earth and all the events of the earth. I, I find this to be one of the most beautiful parts of, of the entire Psalm. It's like he's saying this, this place of chaos, this place of pain, this place of brokenness and disappointment, this part of your story, that's where God does business. That's where God shows up. That's what God sees. That's what he cares about. That's where he's at work. It's the faith that remembers that God has saved you. 
And that's the anchor of your faith in the midst of collapse, in the midst of things falling apart. It brings us back. So we say, Lord, the relationships that I care most about are breaking, but I remember that you love me and you're always faithful. Lord, I've made a mistake and it's the worst I've ever made and I don't know how to fix it. And you always forgive me. Lord, I'm terrified of what's to come. I'm not strong enough for it. It might overwhelm me. You're my king and I will spend eternity with you. We have to remember, we have to keep on remembering what he's done. We have to keep on remembering. It's why we need Psalms like this, to realign our faith and reorient us towards who God is and how faithful he is. The call is, don't forget, keep remembering, keep saying it, keep telling yourself the story. Psalm 74, it goes on to show examples of the strength of God in creation. We, we, we see stories from the Exodus where God divides the sea, where he makes water come out of a, come out of a rock. Shows his power over the beasts of the sea. Talks about he's the Lord of the, of the day and the night, the stars and the sun, even the seasons. He's just trying to remember how big he is. Trying to remember how strong he is. Trying to remember how stable he is. When nothing in his life feels stable. Don't forget the God of power is who we cry to in faith. So we need to remember. We have a faith that cries and a faith that remembers. And lastly, it invites us to a faith that hopes. Uh, for the psalmist, things have collapsed to such an extent that they seem final. This isn't one of those things are teetering and we don't know which way it's gonna go. Like Jerusalem has fallen, it's over. They've lost. So why is he still praying? What does he still have? He has hope. Hope is what he has. And the reality of any prayer to God in the midst of this kind of collapse is that it requires and assumes hope. Hope that there's still something left, some shred of hope, some shred of evidence that God is at work that he hasn't left us. Something that seems final that might not be. And, and the psalmist in verse 20 turns to the source of his hope. He says, have regard for the covenant. We're gonna have hope even in collapse because we remember what God has promised. And this is an, an insane thing for this psalmist to say. He's talking about covenants that God made with Abraham and David where he said things like, I'll always be with you and I'll build you up into a great nation. And he's looking around and what's he saying? No evidence of God being present. The city's been destroyed. The temple's been destroyed. It says even the prophets have left. The people who were the mouthpieces of God, they've been taken away. The people have been killed and scattered. And he's remembering the promise that God will make a great nation. Because when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Because God is strong. He's stronger than anything going on in our lives and in our worlds. It's like the psalmist is saying, things are not over until God says they're over. And I say that to you knowing that there are parts in your story right now where it feels like things are over. But things are not over until God says that they are over. I, I wanna invite you to turn to the front of your bulletin for just a moment. This is a, a thousand year old depiction of uh, what you heard Steve read from the gospel from, from Mark chapter five. If you've come to any of the resurrection 
prayer meetings, you'll know that this is one of my favorite stories of the Bible um, and, and one that serves as foundational to the mission of our, of our church plant in Milithian. Uh, this story is powerful because it's about a moment that seems absolutely final. If, if you know the story, you'll know that someone came to Jesus and my daughter is sick, will you come help me? Jesus goes with him. He gets interrupted by someone else who's suffering. Jesus stops and takes his time. He heals this person. And then as he turns to continue on, someone comes to him right where we, our, our reading picks up and says, it's over. She's dead. Don't trouble the teacher any further. You, f- you feel anger in those words. You feel sadness in those words. You feel brokenness in those words. And Jesus' response is, it's not over unless I say it's over. Jesus' response is, do not fear, only believe. Do you feel that urgent call to faith when things feel like they're over that comes from Jesus? And Jesus goes to this house and he enters this scene of utter finality. There's weeping, there's grief. And he goes into it and he extends his hand. He reaches out into that finality, into death itself. And he takes this little girl by the hand. He says, little girl, wake up. And he brings her back. It was not over, not with Jesus. If you're like me, you, you groan with longing with stories like this because this is a family who had to suffer through this kind of finality for maybe just a few hours. And we long for our longings for wholeness to, to be over more quickly, and they're often not. Jesus, our King, is defined by confounding finality. Things that seem like they should be over are not over when Jesus is around. He's the resurrected one. He's the one whom even death could not hold. If the resurrection is our hope, then even the things that have seemed final are not because our trajectory is life. If you are in Christ, you are headed to life. If you were in Christ, you are headed to wholeness. If you were in Christ, you are headed towards healing. If you were in Christ, you are headed towards peace. You're headed towards restoration. And we walk in the valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus says to us, do not fear, only believe. Our faith is a faith that hopes because our Savior died for us, collapsed for us, and rose again. And because he's conquered finality, he will gather us. He will gather us to himself in perfect joy and peace and life. So now we wait and we weep. But joy cometh in the morning and we will not wait forever. The the application for Psalm 74, it's actually pretty simple. There are places in your life where it feels like things are over. And the temptation for you is to either try to tough it out or to harden your heart and turn away from God. And Psalm 74 says, keep crying out to God. Keep crying out, keep calling after him, keep the faith because it's not over, not with Jesus. He rose from the dead, hallelujah. I don't know if things still, um, I don't know if this ever was, was real, but I have these, pictures in my head of a kid of seeing these old fashioned images of firefighters outside of a building with like a big hoop and a net, like a trampoline kind of thing. And they're there because there are people who are, who are trapped and who are stranded and they need to get a way out. 
and they're there to save them and to catch them. And the image has come to my mind as I've reflected on Psalm 74 because the reality of being a human in the world is that you are going to fall. You are going to get in trouble. You're gonna have to collapse at some point. And so the only question that really remains is when you fall, what are you gonna fall onto? The call of faith from God from us this morning is if you're gonna collapse, collapse onto Jesus. The one who is of old, who is your king, who loves you. If you're gonna collapse, collapse onto Jesus who died and rose again, making nothing final. If you're gonna collapse, collapse onto Jesus who loves you and who cares for you and who collapsed for you that you might have life in him forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the hope that we have in you because you are the resurrected Christ. And with you, things are not over. Lord, give us grace and faith when things do feel like they're over. Give us the faith to keep crying out, to keep calling to you. Force us to remember how good you are and give us the hope that comes through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.